Locate in your Bibles this morning the New Testament Gospel according to John and the 12th chapter. John chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. That's page 899 in the church Bible. John chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The history of the Jewish people is, as with all history, linear and yet in some ways cyclical, progressing onward and yet repeating itself. You have God's promise, wandering toward that promise, settling and knowing peace in a spirit of worship and thanksgiving. And then through some sin or other, they find themselves once again away from, at the very least, the enjoyment of that promise, often away from even access to that promise itself. They are enslaved. They are sometimes enslaved even in their own land, sometimes in exile far away until God again draws near to them. And he raises up someone to lead them back home, always spiritually and often quite physically as well. So it really should come as no surprise to us that between the Old and the New Testaments, we see the Jewish nation brought under, again, a dictatorship, this time of a Syrian madman named Antiochus Epiphanes. And God draws near to them again. And he raises up again someone to deliver them from the oversight of this dictator. This time a ragtag band of guerrilla warriors fighting from the mountains under the leadership of a rebellious priest and his sons who refuse to bow to Zeus or eat the unclean meat sacrificed to him. And after years of struggle, they won. It's recorded thus by history. In the 170th year, the yoke of the Greeks was removed from Israel. And the people began to write in their documents and contracts in the first year of Simon, the great high priest and commander and leader of the Jews. But despite their changes to... Dating and signing and whatnot, there was still cleanup to do. Uh, The holy city of Jerusalem had not yet been taken. And so we read how Simon besieged Jerusalem to starve out the oppressors and those who had joined them by assimilating into their way of life. The Greeks within were broken. Again, history records the tale. 
They cried to Simon to make peace with them, and he did so. But he expelled them from there and cleansed the citadel from its pollutions. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. A couple of centuries later, another crowd of people entered the city of Jerusalem with praise and palm branches, ushering in a man who was prophet. Though apart from the recent baptizing prophet John, the land had seen no prophets for 400 years. A man who was the great high priest of his people, though someone else bore that title. A man who was king, though other men sat on the thrones of city, region, and empire. This man sat on an unbroken colt, and an adult donkey, likely the young animal's mother, walked alongside to calm it. In the ancient Near East, the donkey had long been regarded as a symbol of royalty, ridden as they were by kings in times of peace. Were a king to approach a city with the purpose of war, he would sit tall and proud on a horse. Were he to approach a city with purposes of peace, he would ride a donkey. This man's birth was prophesied by Isaiah, who said, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His birth was proclaimed by angels filling the sky with shouts of glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill with those whom, goodwill to those whom God is pleased. He now approaches the city of Jerusalem as the living embodiment of peace. And yet there will be war before the week is up. Not the kind of war one might expect. Not a violent uprising against the Jewish people's latest oppressor, the Romans. There will be war, however, war on the hypocrisy and self-righteous complacency of the religious establishment, war on the materialistic corruption of the world system, war on the sinful inclination of flesh opposed to God, war on the oppression of the devil Enslaving the world to a vicious cycle of murderous destruction, overpowering darkness and fear of death. War on death itself, the realm of the dead and the grave. The man who approaches Jerusalem as prophet, priest and king of his people, riding the back of a donkey, humbly going to his death is Jesus And he will save his people from their sins. Word spreads that Jesus and his disciples are approaching the city and a crowd begins to form. Some 
caught up with them on the road. They'd been tagging along since Jesus had raised a man from the dead not so long before. Many more came out of the city to meet this procession. Some observers began to take off their coats and lay them on the ground, forming a path through the teeming masses. Others joined the procession and the crowds waved palm branches, which had become a patriotic symbol of the Jewish nation. Someone begins to strike up a song. Someone pulls out their stringed instrument and begins to play. And everyone begins to sing and shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is an urgent prayer, by the way. It means save now. It is a prayer for divine help and salvation. We need you, God. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of the Jews. As these scenes unfolded, they were witnessing the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. Fear not, daughter of Zion. And from Zechariah, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's difficult not to get caught up in the spirit of it, is it not? Christ's kingship announced. Messianic prophecy fulfilled. Adoring, pumped up masses. Waving their palm branches and cheering. All is well. Right? It's all good. Really? John's account says of Jesus' closest disciples, verse 16 of chapter 12, his disciples did not understand these things. He says, furthermore, that the crowd that followed Jesus had been with him when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And the crowd that went out to meet Jesus had, verse 18, says, heard that he had done this sign. The explanation for the crowd that is formed around Jesus is that he has performed a sign. Signs are very important in John's gospel. He selects seven of Jesus's many signs to show how they point to Jesus's identity as Messiah and eternal son of God made flesh. As such, when John talks about Jesus' signs, the focus is never on the signs themselves. It's on the one to whom they point. Are, are, are you following me? The point is not the signs. Signs point to something else. Namely, Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Word with us, made flesh. The one who has made God himself known to us. And that's the whole purpose of a sign. To point to something. For many of the people experiencing and observing Jesus' signs, however, their focus is not, is not really on the signs as signs. Pointing to something better and greater. I mean, no, no, no one, you know, 
traveling to London stops at the sign that's pointing the way to London. Oh, oh, look, there's the sign to London. It's, you know, 50 miles to go. Let's just pull over and gaze adoringly at the sign. No one does that. I mean, you're going to a destination, maybe, or you're, you're going on holiday, and, and, and you know, you, 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 you land at the airport, and you see arrivals, and it says, welcome to, you know, whatever place you're, you're at, and, 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 and you stop under that sign and say, well, we made it, you know, you just stand there. But that's kind of how people are treating Jesus' signs. They're just so caught up in the sign that they don't see the one to whom the sign is pointing, Jesus actually said to a crowd of thousands who kept following him around after he miraculously fed them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of bread. So it's not even the signs that they care about. It's the result of the signs. He says that they should be more concerned about working for eternal food, seeking eternal food, walking after him for eternal food, not not physical food. I mean, he fed them anyway, but they're missing the point. When he told them this, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Their reply, these people who had already seen so many of Jesus' signs, Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. They reply, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? He's just fed 5,000 people with a handful of loaves and fish. They, I mean, there's seven signs out of many that John says the, the world can't contain the books of Jesus' signs. And you're, he says, believe in me now. And they say, show us a sign so that we may believe. It's almost like a trap, isn't it? It's like, oh, you know, oh, we, we've got him now. He, he, he's, he wants us to believe. Well, we're going, we just have to see him do some of that, that sign stuff again. Unbelievable. And yet, maybe it's closer to home in our hearts than we'd care to admit. Later in John chapter 12, we read, it's a bit sad actually. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them. They still did not believe in him. That's, that's verse 37. They, he'd done so many signs and they still did not believe in him. And that was the whole point of the signs. These crowds, these sign-seeking, not savior-seeking crowds, are the ones that now swarm around Jesus, giving him praise. So I don't think it's cynical to raise an eyebrow and say, really? I I think it's just discerning. 
Where were these masses of people rushing to Jesus' aid when He was betrayed and unjustly tried? Where were they when they had a choice to choose between Him and a murderous thief and insurrectionist? Where were the riots in the streets when sentence was passed and Jesus was taken out, lifted up, and brought down dead? Some were silent and absent. Some were disappointed and changed sides, disappointed with Jesus, disappointed in Jesus. And they changed sides and they joined the crowd yelling, crucify him. Others were confused, frightened and hid away. All were united in one misguided thought. The Messiah they anticipated was limited to political revolution for the brief window of time that was there here and now, not cosmic redemption for all of history and eternity. And sometimes, if we're honest, that's what we want, is it not? Not not the cosmic redemption for all of time and eternity, but temporal revolution In our here and now. That will be a blip in the grand scheme of history. But gets us all excited and stirred up. It's why people scan their social media feeds when they get up. Catch a bit of the news at lunch. Read the paper on their commute home. And get depressed or have their day ruined. Their week ruined and feel that their future is more than likely thrown into chaos because we want something immediate and visible that improves our lives, makes us comfortable, offers convenience, and we look at the world around us and that's not the trajectory things are on. Some want not biblical Jesus. They want a Barack Obama Jesus with the nice sounding, if abstract, message of change we can believe in. And some want a Donald Trump Jesus, red faced, yelling himself hoarse, hugging a palm branch and saying we're going to make Israel great again. Some want a Brexit Jesus who will lead his people to leave the red tape and corrupt bureaucracy of imperial Rome to take back control. And some want to remain Jesus because they reason we're stronger together. Some just want to help me through the day, Jesus, that that they can quickly forget once he served their purpose. And all of the other stuff that's going on in the world, that can just happen. But so long as Jesus helps me out. And then I can forget about him tomorrow. But the teaching and example of Jesus riding a donkey to his sacrificial death says, stop making me in your own image. Stop co-opting me for your agenda. Stop using me as the poster boy for your subcultural preferences and your niche movements. Follow me, not for what signs I can show you, not for what gifts I can give you, but follow me for me. The one to whom the signs point, 
The one by whom gifts are purchased and from whom gifts are given. Not for what I have, but for who I am. Follow me. The Pharisees, part of the religious establishment, forever hounding Jesus, don't know people's hearts and motives so well, so they actually feel quite threatened by the groundswell of support for Jesus. They think, enough. This has gone too far. And a few of them wade their way through the crowds to to Jesus, and, 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 and they get there, and above the, the den, they, they yell, I can't hear you. You know, I can't hear you. They get up to his ear, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And above the den of Hosanna's Jesus yells back, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones of the street would cry out. And they walk away in dismay. It's there in John's telling of the event. Come on. One says to the other, you see that we're gaining nothing. She pulls his colleague away. He's like, look, the whole world's gone after him. Madness. We're gaining nothing. Come on, leave it, leave it. But the world has gone after him. Little did they realize quite how true they were. The world, you see, was often used as a general expression by the Jews to refer to Gentile people and people groups outside the Jewish nation. They were the Jews. Gentiles were the nations or the world. And while here their exclamation, look, the world has gone after him, is doubtless frustrated exaggeration, nothing gets past the author of this gospel who is quick to point out that, oh, yes, in fact, the world was going after him. And so we come to those verses with which I began. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Greeks is used here in the sense of Gentiles, not necessarily natives of Greece. They were of Gentile origin and parentage and upbringing, but they have come to fear and worship the God of the Jews and so are in Jerusalem for the holy days of Passover. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Gentiles, we wish, not not we're forced, not we're coerced, not we feel that we have to, not that we're just ticking a a little religious box, not not that, you know, oh, he's, he's begged us to come to him and he's pleading with us. No, we wish to see Jesus. And if only people in the churches today wish to see Jesus, you know, they wouldn't have to be told what's on in the week. They wouldn't have to be asked. I wouldn't have to send any Saturday evening text just saying, hey, guys, this is what's up tomorrow because they'd be there because they want to be there. And there's no question that they 
would or would not be there. That's a part of their life. We wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Not we want to see signs. We, we want to see Jesus. Not we want to see Jesus so He can show us more signs. We want to see Jesus. And Philip doesn't know quite what to do with this. Not people wish to see Jesus, but he doesn't know what to do with Gentiles wanting to see Him. And so he goes to Andrew. And then Philip and Andrew go to Jesus. And Jesus, the worker of signs, takes this as a sign. His work here is almost done. Salvation is already beginning to extend to the nations. In the past, Jews marched into Jerusalem with praise and palm branches to push the Gentiles out. Jesus marches now into the city with praise and palm branches to bring the Gentiles in so that Jews who were near and Gentiles who were far and Samaritans who were somewhere in between, all who believe, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord might be welcomed into the Father's house, have a place in His family, and sit down to feed at his table. Jesus says the hour has come for the son to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. These Greeks want to see Jesus. And by so doing, they run against the winds of their home culture that is simply not at all interested. There is no wisdom in this carpenter from Nazareth. They swim also against the current of their adopted culture, the leadership of which has had quite enough of Jesus and the general populace of which misunderstands his identity and purpose. As Greeks, they lay aside the voices of the Greek world that would scoff at Jesus and say, what a joke, what foolishness. And as Greeks who had become Jews, they lay aside the voices of the Jewish world that would mock Jesus. What weakness. If you were really king, you would show us a sign. If they did not fit in with the Greeks and they did not fit in with the Jews, what are they in a world of only Greeks and Jews? Do you understand the question? If they did not fit in with Greeks and they did not fit in with Jews, what are they in a world of only Greeks and Jews? They're dead. Dead to self. Jesus, though he was in the form of God for all eternity, made himself a servant and was born in the likeness of men, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. You want to see Jesus? Jesus says, follow me. You want to follow Jesus? Then you have to die to yourself. You have to die even to... Aspects of your identity 
that that you that you treasure, but the, there are parts of it which are idolatrous that lead you away from Christ, not to Christ. You have to die to the world around you, die to the pressures you face, die to the temptation you entertain, die to the sins you enjoy, die to the individualistic, it's all about me, life that you live, die to the discontented, always coveting consumerism of your culture, die to the prejudices that you harbor against other people, die to the resent that you carry, and you have to lay all of this stuff down. Like a path of coats to be trampled under the donkey riding Savior King. You want to follow Jesus. Jesus leads his people to a self-denying sacrificial cross. You want to save your life here in this world. You will lose it and be none the better for it. You live to prosper in life. You could gain the whole world and still forfeit your soul. But the life that follows Jesus, that sets its mind on things of God, not man, will not be about saving your life as you've known it, but sacrificing that life with these Greeks in this text to seek life as God wants it. Not about loving yourself, but about loving God and loving your neighbor. Not about the gains of material health, wealth, and personal prosperity, so much as about giving And when gain is got, stewarding and investing it once more into giving. It's about living not for praise from man, but praise to God. Not for glory in this life, but for the joy of the Lord now and for all eternity. Some of you today, you're wondering, where does this lead? I'm worried the way is hard. Some of you aren't even... Through the gate yet. You're not trusting in Jesus yet. But you look through and you're like, ah, the way seems hard and it seems difficult. And I see hanging on a cross there, Jesus. And I see other people who have laid their life down at the foot of the cross. And I don't know what will my life be like? How will it end? What will it be for? Jesus ended up hanging on a cross. Is that where I'm going to end up? Friends, Jesus didn't end up hanging on a cross. When all was said and done, Jesus would emerge victorious, having won peace by the blood of his cross. He was dead in the grave, but raised to life. Scars on his body, holes in his hands, feet and side, but risen. And he ascended into heaven. And he will, when he went to heaven, he truly enjoyed a triumphant entry. Lift up the gates, open the everlasting doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, high and mighty, mighty in battle, mighty to save. He is the King of glory. And the scriptures tell us that it wasn't just Jesus who ascended, but he led upwards and he leads eternally onwards a host of captives. He, he led the, cap, 
those who held men captive, captive. The world, the flesh, the devil, death, Hades, the grave, grovel in chains at his feet. And the ones that once were enslaved by their power now follow him in song. A vast multitude that no man can number. And he's coming again. And he will be followed by people singing his praises. And he will catch us up to meet him in the air. To welcome him back to his new city. But he's no longer riding a donkey. He's saddled up this time. As a warrior king for righteous war and judgment for the salvation of his people for all eternity. John would write decades later. Then I saw heaven opened. And he sees his friends who've died. He sees Peter hung upside down on a cross. He sees Andrew hanging Stretched out on a cross. He sees this brother stoned to death. And that brother speared to death. And that brother sown to death. And that sister boiled to death. And he says, we will win in Jesus. Our king is coming again. And he's not riding a donkey for peace. He's riding a horse for war. I saw heaven opened and a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head are on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know about you, but I want to see Jesus not as a recipient of his retributive justice, but as a participant in redemption joy for all eternity. Join me. Join me in this fight. Join me in this path. Join us and the centuries of faithful disciples who have followed Jesus down through the ages. Let's follow Jesus. Let's be like the Greeks of this passage who said, we want to see Jesus. Let's serve him. And brothers and sisters, if we serve Jesus, we know because he said it. We know that we will be with him. And the father who alone is worthy of all honor. For some reason in the mystery of his grace and love will honor us.